the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. But I want to kind of go over this. God's mind on money. How do we get money? Well, if you'll remember, I laid before you what I called a biblical conviction that you might want to really think through, pray about it, see if this is it for you, especially those of you who are head of household. Is this something you want to help your kids to understand as you begin to talk about budgeting and money when they get a, a gift from grandma and grandpa or something that they would at least understand this? Is this a little bit of a phrase that they could own, that you could quiz them on, so they make their decision running it through this grid that we have? And again, it's a financial conviction is... Our money, our resources, our money or resources, because sometimes we're not given money, liquid assets, sometimes we're given hard assets, resources. Our money and our resources are given to us by God. They come from God. They must then be earned, which we'll talk about in a moment, managed, which we'll talk about next week, and then given away, which we'll talk about the week after that. So do I see that my money and resources have come to me from God and are to be either earned or managed or given away for the glory of God. Now, that's the conviction that we want to kind of own. Now, you can tweak it here, tweak it there a little bit, but for the most part, this would be the foundational substance of of it. We talked about last week, why are we short of funds, and I went through the negative and the positive. But to prepare us for today when I'm talking about how we get more funds, I don't want to jump immediately into the four, which we will do. I want to just remind you that if all you did was remember the positive from last week, the positive biblical principles, we start with those. Here's why. These four, most of them, not all of them, the world will give to you, all right? But the ones from last week are the character traits that if you at least have these in your life, it will govern then how you get your money. In other words, why you're getting more money. What are you going to do when you get that money? How are you going to use that money? Who are you going to give that money for? All of that will be governed by the set of character principles that we gave last week. So we talked about those. One would be, are you a generous person? You know, if you get more, you'll give more, hopefully. And when you give more, you'll get more. You know, when you give to the Lord, you will always get back. We don't give to get, but when we give, we get. Did you catch that? We don't give to get, because that's manipulating God. But when we give, God will give back to us. Maybe not the exact amount. Maybe not the exact same way, and certainly not immediately. But you can never outgive God. Is that a truthful saying or not? All right, so with that, again, are we going to be those that are generous? Are we a discerning people? We're making our decisions on the things that God has provided for us in light of what we need right now, but also for future benefit for the glory of God. We talked about being a teachable person, surrounding ourselves with good, godly people, especially those who have already modeled managing of their money and giving of their money properly, and going to them for advice. This person had already said, I'd go to my mom and dad. I know his mom and dad. They are wise people, especially in the use of their funding. And also, they're committed to helping others with that. 
so the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So again, there's counselors he would seek out. The other would be a diligent person. We'll talk more about that today because it does fit into how do we get our money, but we have to be diligent. We also have to be a thrifty person because once God does provide for us, which He will, He will, He will, He will, He will, then at the same time we have to be very careful in how we have that money that's given to us and to use it wisely. And so we want to be very, very diligent. And at the same time we want to be thrifty to keep it. And then the last trait we talked about was truthfulness. Not to obtain funding based on deception, manipulation, lies. And of course we talked about, we don't want to have a heart attack. We don't want our heart that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked attack our thinking, so to speak. We want to be able to think clearly and correctly, wisely, biblically. And so with those in mind, now I think we probably are prepared to talk about how do I get more money? There are ways. Like these people said, if I had more money, I would do da-da-da-da with them. Okay, now here's how you're going to get more money to do. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Make sure you're running through the grid of the character traits, the scripture, and what you're going to learn today, and you'll be a wise guy and gal with money. So there's only four of them. It's not hard to go through these. So let's look at number one, all right? Number one. The number one is the longest one because this is one that fits more reality and we really can resonate with it, and that is simply through diligent labor. We will get more money if we work. I know that there are going to be some that, uh, for whatever reason, God has blessed you with wealthy parents, wealthy grandparents, or otherwise, that you will inherit a whole bunch of bucks. And I, I praise the Lord that that is an opportunity that you have that gives you a little bit more freedom that you may not have to work as hard getting it. You may have to work a lot hard guarding it. And certainly you're going to have to work very carefully in giving it because there is a reason you were given that legacy of wealth that now you have. So again, through diligent labor, and that's more for most of us. I wish I had the time, and I don't, but what would be a good opportunity for you to do, especially of those of you that are really embracing all of Scripture, is go back and talk about the whole dynamic of what is known as the W.E. What's that? The work ethic. The work ethic actually came as a result of the fall if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis. So we're working, again, and by because we the, the fall that Adam did, we all sin in, in him because of that, but... By all of that, he said, you're going to have to then till the ground by the sweat of your labor, all of that, because of what's happened. Now, I look at that and I say, where do I see grace in that? Here's how I see grace in that. Even though the fact that, that Adam sinned and brought the moral ruin of the whole human race, and we're experiencing that today, and part of that is having to work, God still says, but as you work, you will still reap. You'll reap the benefits of work. For them, it was going to be food to eat. You know, eventually the food that, that we eat, animals eat certain parts of that. Now we have animals to eat, et cetera, and it goes on. And the whole chain is all the way till today, <laughs> this morning. We're eating the fruit of the labor, even of the curse, that went on in the Old Testament. So there's that work ethic. And I could not encourage you to do more for your kids than to model and mentor them in the work ethic. And when I get into the whole aspect of giving, I'm going to talk about how the work ethic actually fits in in rearing your kids and the whole dynamic of giving. But for right now, that is a very important trait to teach them. So while you're teaching them that God is good and God is light and God is love, all of that is great. That's the foundational theology of it all. But remember, how does that translate into our everyday life? That's how you manage your money. That's how you get your money. So I have actually put before you a bunch of Scripture that I want to kind of go through very carefully so that you will own this whole aspect of working hard, diligent labor, 
So follow along in Proverbs 12, 11. What a great book in the Bible for practical relationships. I look at Psalms, helps me in my relationship with the Lord. So the attitude of the psalmist you want to have is upward. But then the practical living outward is the book of Proverbs. So Psalms gets us upward, Proverbs gets us outward, and you have the sign of the cross with those two books in the Bible. And so now we're looking at going outward to other people. You need a New Testament dynamic of that? Just go to the book of James. James is how you relate to other people. And it still speaks to the idea of wealth and money and how you treat other people. So that's a practical way we do it. So let's look at it. Proverbs 12, 11. It says, he who tills his land will have plenty of bread. So the idea is getting up early, getting your equipment ready, going out there no matter the weather practically, and this working day after day after day without any notoriety and without seeing immediate results. You will have plenty of bread. It goes on to say, but he who pursues worthless things lacks sense. If this is your Bible, mark the phrase uh, worthless, sense, worthless things there. And then on your way home with your husband or wife and the kids in the car, why don't you have a discussion on what would be worthless things in life today that people might invest their time and life into? What are some worthless things? And I believe you're going to have a wonderful conversation. But then at the end of all of that, say, what worthless things could we as a family be doing that might be hindering us from certain things to get us ahead in our spiritual walk with the Lord as well as our financial management and use of it? Now, that's where it's going to get really tough and dicey right there because you're going to have to really make some, perhaps some, some changes. But that's what we want the Word of God to do. We want, we want it to change us. We want to check up from the neck up, and God's Word will do that. So again... Killing the land, hard work, we get results. But if we pursue worthless things, that means going after them, hungering after them, wanting them. 14.23 says, in all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. And so we know what it is like, and some of you work with people, they do a lot of talking. How many of you have ever been lying at the um, bank, and you're like two people back, and there's a person at the teller, and while they're at the teller, they're talking. And all of a sudden, they whip out their, their phone and they're showing pictures to the teller and they're going, yeah, 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 and you're over there and you want to say, I got a life, you know, you don't, but I got a life, you know, you want to yell at them and you can't do that. Well, the point of the matter is, it does affect, it'll affect their business. It makes me think twice. So I want to go back there. Oh, there's that lady in line again. Yeah, it, it does do that. So how we use our time and our conversation, because every word that another person hears, God heard it before it was said. He knows why it was said and the purpose for which it said. And so I'm all of us, me too. So again, if all we're doing is talking, we're not getting a lot done in many ways. 1915 says, laziness casts into a deep sleep and an idle man will suffer hunger. I don't know how many times different ones might say, boy, I slept so long and wow, I had so many hours of sleep and I'm still tired. Well, I'm not saying you're a lazy person. But I'm saying the more we sleep, the more we think we really have to sleep, and the more sleep we think we need to get. And perhaps that's just a little bit of laziness. And I'm wondering if the problem isn't really laziness. If laziness is, is even is more of a symptom of a deeper problem, take that home and talk about it. Could laziness be a symptom of even a deeper problem? And does it somewhere find its birth in sin? Proverbs 20, verse 13. Do not love sleep. It doesn't say don't get sleep. It says don't love sleep. Don't long for sleep or you'll become poor. Open your eyes and you'll be satisfied with food. My margin for me is, Stan, how much sleep do you really need? I know they say, oh, you need seven, eight hours when you're older. You need eight and nine. When you're teenagers, you need this and all that. I get all the sleep stuff. You do too. You've read it all. But now when all that's done, how much do you really need between you and God? 
And frankly, I think that your sleep quotient will go up and down based upon the needed activity that God calls you into from time to time. But what do you really, really need? And teenagers, I'm speaking to you too. All right. goes on to say, and I think this is important, it says, open your eyes and you'll be satisfied with food, implying the more you sleep, if you're sleeping, you're not working. If you're not working, you're not producing. If you're not producing, you won't have the basic needs of life, let alone some of the things you said you wanted to buy. So sleeping, you're not doing very much. I guess unless you sign up for a sleep test or something and they pay you for it. Let me know where they are. I'd love to sign up for that one. All right, verse Proverbs 31. When I get into Proverbs chapter 31, this is such a rich passage here because it talks about the virtuous woman. And the reason I say that is because often we will hold up great men. We'll hold up the great men of the Bible. And then occasionally if you go to a woman's retreat, they're going to teach on the, the virtuous woman. I, I used to call her, that's the VW. Carol says, women don't like to be known as a VW. So I says, okay, I'll, from now on call them virtuous women. And generally they make you feel kind of guilty all the time because this woman is so great. That's not the intention of it. But what I will say is, sometimes women can actually put us men to shame in all that they do, all the plates they have the ability to keep spinning. They can be making a meal, the dog is barfing in the living room, the kids are at your ankle, the phone is now ringing, everything's going on, and somehow these ladies are able to pull it together. We're men, we like to just focus, just give us one thing, don't distract us, you know, like that. And these women are very diligent. I'm married to one of those. Many of you men are, and there are many of you ladies that are having to do that because you don't have someone else to share the load with. And I really commend you on what you're doing. But there is a model in this lady. And so the model isn't so much the actual things that she did, but I want you to think more in terms of the principles behind her that got her to do this. So let me take you through this very rich portion of Scripture on this, because it really spoke to me. In Proverbs 31.15, it says this, She rises also while it is still night. By the way, if you have your pen, I want you to circle some of the key words. She rises. Something had to get her up. She also rises also while it's still night. I mean, it's still dark. So it wasn't the sun that woke her up coming through the shades. And gives food to her household. Now, we don't know all the particulars, maybe later in the day because of all that she did. I'm sensing, since it's in this order, that in some measure, while the rest of the family was getting up, she was already up to provide for her family, diligent labor, and portions to her handmaids. So in other words, no one was left out that was underneath her responsibility of care. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Now, there's probably a lot of rhetorical things we could say about that. There's a lot of speculation, whether we want to stay strictly physical. In other words, she took care of herself physically so that she could perform these great deeds, which I think is in there, even if it's subliminally, it's something to seriously consider. Or if it's a spiritual thing, no matter how weak she was, she was still strong enough in her constitution to make sure this job got done. However you want to look at it, she realized it took strength to do it, and she got that strength to do it. A little bit further. It says she strengthens her hands, uh, she stretches out her hands to the distaff. So you have rises, gives, girds, makes, stretches, all these verbs of what she's doing to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. And we could talk all about what that looked like in the Bible days, but for right now, just think in terms of stretching, reaching, working, grasping. So she was a very energetic, diligent worker. 
It says she looks well to the ways of her household. So it wasn't just the working part. She put her brain in gear to say, what were their needs? What are their basic needs? What are their basic needs now? What are their basic needs at this age and stage in their life? So in other words, she was a wise woman taking her effort and energy, doing it in such a way as to provide for others. And it says, and does not eat the bread of idleness. And if that's the only thing you remembered in the passage, that would be a good thing to remember. Does not eat the bread of idleness. This lady would not sit in front of soap operas eating bonbons. All right? She was a very diligent person. So there's a diligent labor. And so I just submit to you that you want to do two things. Here it is. Very simple. You've heard these before. But own it in this passage. And this is what it is. You want to work smart and you want to work hard. Say that with me. We want to work smart and we want to work hard. Not just work smart and we don't ever work hard because we're thinking all the time. We're not producing anything. We sit around and we chatter and talk and think and plan and dream, but we never make it happen. And then you have all those that are just work, 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 but they don't think smart, where if they did, they could get more done with the amount of resources God has given to them. The idea, again, from her and all these other passages is we, we really do need to roll up our sleeves and work hard. So young people, listen to me for just a moment. I don't know your mom and dad particularly. I don't know why they would want you to work, but I can only surmise this. It's not so much that you need to work because they need to get you out there so you can provide for the family. I really believe they want you to learn the discipline of work because if you are working, a number of things are actually happening on a practical level. When you work, somehow, whatever you do, someone has to train you how to do something in that job. OJT, on-the-job training. Something you're being trained, whether you work at McDonald's or whatever, you're learning something. It's teaching you when you go to work, you always want to continue to learn and keep learning more because the more you learn, the more tools you have in your brain, the more tools you have in your brain, the more buildings you can build, lives you can build, and you can go up the ladder of doing more things for other people. So you're learning to learn is what I'm saying. The second thing while you're out there, technically in most cases, you're not in trouble. It's hard to get in trouble when you're flipping a hamburger somewhere. The other reason that you're out there is you're earning some money. And when you do, folks, when you produce something This is just common sense. When you work hard and the sweat of your brow, honest day, you get paid, there's a sense of personal satisfaction. You did that. You did that. Yeah, God gave you the power. God gave you the job. We already talked about that, so now we're building on He did all of that so that you could do that and experience satisfaction. I like to use two F words. Fruit from it, there's results. You get paid. You get the attaboys. You get a sense of accomplishment in most cases. And sometimes you can get picked on. I get all that. But beyond all that junk, there's a, there's a pony in there somewhere. All right? But the other thing you get is this fulfillment. You can look back and say, God used me. This had purpose. All right, so get out there, kids, and do some of that stuff. Now I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a governor on that. If all you're doing is working and you forget that your primary responsibility at this stage in your life Listen very carefully. Is to take this stage in your life, young people, and learn as much of God's Word as you possibly can. Because life is going to get busier and by far more demanding. So do as much as you can there. Secondly, your purpose at this stage in your life isn't only to work, 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 work. It's also to get educated for the bigger things in life that God might have for you. But at the same time, learning the work ethic is part of this stage in your life. And it's very good. Whether it's a a part-time job that's kind of full-time, but a part-time job, or whether it's seasonal, it's something out there 
that you can do. How important that is. Let me go give you a list of some things that I wrote down here, and I want you to ask your kids to finish this list. What does a lazy person look like? Have you ever thought about that? Now you might say, oh, I know a lazy person. <laughs> As my mother-in-law. No, 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 no. Okay, no, no, no. But just in general, what would a lazy person look like? It could be this. They're a person that is constantly making excuses of why they don't have a job or a well-paying job. Excuses, blaming why they don't have a job, why they don't have a good-paying job, whatever it is. I'm not able because other people are at fault. You know? The second they're lazy is they take time off from work, which is not absolutely necessary. I know when you're infectious with the flu, please stay home. Please don't come to church. I mean, you might be here this Sunday, but 10 more people won't be here the next Sunday if you come sick. But on the other hand, if you use every little sore throat, you're not going to make it. I'm looking out at a crowd here of men and women who went to work when they had a degree of pain. They still toughed it out. They got the job done to a level of acceptance from their employer, and they made it through it, and they're here to tell about it. I look at those of you that are in ministry. How many times you've preached with a sore throat how many times you've attended a meeting when you had a little bit of, of uncomfortableness and you were there. Why? Because the people's pain, whether they could see it or not, was greater than whatever you're going through. And that little bit helps us to tough it out and really make it in leadership. Yes, there's a threshold. But the threshold is further out than so close every time you burp your can't go in today. All right? I could say a lot more and I better not. So let me go to the third. Ask yourself this of a sign of a lazy person. Spending too much time resting. How much time do I really need to relax? Now you're looking at a guy who verges on being a workaholic, so I have to be careful here. Because now I'm really preaching to me. I have to I have to almost plan to relax because I don't relax much. But there are a lot of people that relax way too much. I'm one of those that violate I need to rest more. I need to sense God's presence as we would as we would say, if you're a friend in, in, the, in the Friends and Amish group, they would say that you need to center down. That's their phrase. We need to center down on God. And there is a time for relaxing. But it's not a time for total escaping. It's a time for purposely relaxing for the ultimate purpose of becoming emotionally, spiritually, mentally stronger so you can get back into the battle again of building other lives. So then ask your family on the way home today, not how long did Sam speak, or I didn't like what he said there, I disagree with that. Don't knock down the preacher on the stuff you might not have liked. But I want you to talk about the things that really were of value, and let them talk about what does a lazy person look like? And then ask them, what will laziness give you in life? What will laziness not give you in life? What does a diligent person look like? What will diligence give you? What will it not give you? And when is diligence all of the flesh and not of the spirit prompting? I spend a lot of time in the diligent labor, and it's not because I think you all are lazy, but I do want to raise up, hopefully through you all, the next generation of people that are as committed for Christ and will work through all of that for His glory. Now let's go to the second one. There's only four. How do I get more money? Get a job. Keep a job. And do well on your job for the glory of God. But number two is through creative resourcefulness. Through creative resourcefulness. Sometimes there are seasons in our life that we might need a little bit more money. Something has hit us like a scud missile and has affected our finances, whether it was an unexpected blow-up of our water heater in the house, whether our transmission fell out on I-4, or something happened 
and all of a sudden you find yourself needing some funds. I will get into the prayer part a little bit, and I don't want to put that last, but I want to leave you with that last so it stays with you longer. But for right now, it's through creative resourcefulness. I go back to the this wonderful, I guess you'd call virtuous woman again, and I want to take you through a broader passage of Scripture than what I've provided for you in your worship notes. So if you have your Bibles, I would like you to open them to Proverbs 31 because it's going to go beyond your notes. I'm going to read some of the verses I've already read to you, but I also want to take a few more and now put it into context for you about this virtuous woman. This woman was a model of creative resourcefulness. I I absolutely am so amazed at this woman. I guess that's why they said she is far above rubies. You know, who can find this woman right here? Well, I think in many ways, my wife. You found her. I found her at least. And I hope you men could say that about your wife. And maybe your wife would be this if we would allow them or help them or encourage them, affirm them in these things. But that's another message somewhere else. All right, Proverbs chapter 31. Follow along quickly. Verse 13. It says, she, the virtuous woman, looks looks for wool and flax, works with her hands in delight. So in other words, there is this idea of doing it willingly. It's not begrudgingly. All right. It's kind of like the attitude instead of just doing it out of duty. And then it says, she is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. And when I read that, I thought, boy, is that bunch of nothing for me. And then I got realizing if I put it into today's context, it might look like this. She is like a wise woman who will go to a big box store that has things that are at much greater discount. And she brings them from afar rather than going to the convenience store right next door that sells everything three times as much. Yeah, I could write my own Bible, couldn't I? Well, my point being here, though, is read it more in the context of their days. They would go out, they'd look at the far ships because you could get better and other things from other places. You bring them in, you go to them, you provide it for your family. And for times, there are places that you do investigation, you go out to see where you can get the best buy and stuff. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.